Welcome to Culture Matters, the podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I am so excited to be joined by my friend, Taryn Mays. Hey, Taryn. Hey, girl. Hey, hey. Today, we are going to chat with our friend, Kelsey Hensey, mother of two girls and a purveyor of 90s hip-hop. Kelsey, we're going to have to talk about that <laughs> because so we share great. that. I love that. <laughs> Kelsey is editor-in-chief at Fathom Magazine, as well as a gifted writer and Bible teacher. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. The best of us. Kelsey, is there anything fun you want to share with our listeners? Maybe something that we missed in the intro. As a side note, Kelsey is truly just one of my very best people. So, hey. <laughs> so many. There's so many fun oh, things that you just share. heart to heart. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I also love live sports. I love to go to all sort of live sporting events, but I fundamentally oppose the wave. Okay. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm I'm opposed to this thing. I will not do it. You can't I be a fan and opposed to the it wave. Is, it is a contradiction. So you're that, that person. I live in. I live in it fully, and I accept it, and I'm just going to roll with it. I, I will be at all of the live events, and I will never lift my hands in the air like that when someone tells me to. That's so good. I just get this visual of it coming around, and Kelsey's like the one in the middle. She abstains. She's like... <laughs> No. As you know, I try to not make it look curmudgeon y and don't like cross my arms. I'm like, maybe I'm going to clap to whatever song they're doing okay. or whatever. Totally. Like, I'm still looking like a fan, but like, there's just, there's no place it's fine. for this. It's it fine. never ends. Everybody just keeps doing it. I don't know. It's a, it's a fundamental mismatch of my love for live sports. I can't. That really is the best. Someone has to stop it. Someone has to stop I it. I wish y'all could be here to see me because that gave me a lot of joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelsey, today we are talking about. Your world, the world that you live in, which is Christian publishing. Yes. And so can you tell us more about your role at Fathom and the how and why of starting Fathom in the first place? Yeah, I can. So uh, I originally started out in advertising, actually. and was my I was doing strategy at an advertising agency. And then I went to seminary because that's the normal path to seminary. <laughs> and I just took it, you know. Clearly the Lord had made a way. Um, But when I was in seminary, I was taking these writing courses. I had an incredible instructor that I loved, Dr. Sandra Glahn, and we were doing all of these uh, writing for publishing things. And so I started writing for publishing and sending them to other websites and content producers and all of these places, Um, even individual blogs, particularly at that time, were still kind of a bigger deal than they are now. (laughs) and Or maybe they're coming back. We'll see. Who knows? Um, But was like jumping in for like Wendy Alsup had a blog where multiple people are writing, things like that. So I was writing for all of these places. And when kind of my seminary time was starting to come together at the end, I never actually knew what I was going to do after seminary when I went to seminary. That was, I went in with no plan other than this feels like the place that I should be. So when I got to the end of it, I was like, what do I want to do? You know, I have this like business degree. I've worked in advertising, but I love this publishing piece too. What do I do with these things? And as I had done the publishing, I had found that like actually the kind of thing I wanted to create was harder to place. Um, and that's really fine. That's totally fine. But my husband was like, hey, maybe then you should make a thing. 
if you can't place that and you think it matters, he said, go talk to somebody. So I went right back to Sandra Guan (laughs) and said, hey, am I a crazy person? Are you like, oh, sweet. You're so sweet. That's a great idea. You should not do it. (laughs) Or are you like, you go for it. And she was like, absolutely, you need to do this. And so she just encouraged me. I had a couple other classmates at the time that wanted to jump in on the idea. And so we did. We decided instead of trying to fit into a publishing world, we would add it to the publishing Mm -hmm. world. Um, Maybe that's not always the best decision, but it is the one we made. So here we are. (laughs) I think it's an excellent decision considering what Fathom has has put out. Your content is uh, really, really remarkable. Mm -hmm. It truly is one of my favorite things. It has uh, fueled me in my faith and made me think. And I love that about Fathom. But when you talk about that thing that you saw that you were like, this is missing. What was that? Yeah. So... Uh, and I do think it's maybe a little different now. So, but at the time, the publishing world was really looking for the of the moment kind of piece. They wanted something that spoke to what was happening now, and they pri- preferred for you to give it to them in a way that gave somebody an answer. Then, mm-hmm. this is how you think about this thing, and this is what you do with this thing, and you can do that tomorrow. Um, and I felt like as I was hoping to write things that really valued the maybe the process of living a life of faith mm-hmm. and not necessarily the moment that you mm-hmm. felt like your faith was activated, mm-hmm. um, that those kind of pieces weren't the ones that felt like they had an easy slot mm-hmm. into this media world. They weren't impossible. You could certainly find some of them, mm-hmm. but they weren't the thing that was being chosen most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. a different kind of ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so I think that... That was really the driver for me, was wanting to find a place for these kind of pieces that kind of match the way that I saw myself and my friends and my mm-hmm. people living their life. Mm-hmm. Like, this life was a process life. It was a slow yep. build of faith. Mm-hmm. This turning of your person was taking time. Mm-hmm. And the pieces were asking you to be something now that maybe it was going to take more time for you to be. Um, and there is nothing wrong with that. There is a a place for this. There certainly are so many things happening in this world that we should speak to now. But I think my hope in the end was that we would create something where um, instead of asking someone to be virtuous now, we would help them become a virtuous person for good. good. Um, And maybe just fill a different hole. As I think about that, you know, I think about this, it reminds me of spiritual formation Mm -hmm. um, and how it very much is a process and it's a process that happens over a long period of time. And it's made up of small, consistent decisions or leaning in and not something that's really instantaneous. Mm. Uh, But when I think about spiritual formation in our culture, I think about what most people are fed is instantaneous stuff. It's got to fit on an Instagram square. And this is someone, I'm saying this as someone who tries to create content online for the betterment of people um, or like, Instagram photos are dead. You got to mm-hmm. use a reel and the reel's mm-hmm. got to be 30 seconds. I was like, I can't tell anybody any really anything really substantive and deep about the Lord in 30 seconds. Yep. Um, but that is what we're being pushed to do. But have you seen, I think, in your readership or even what people are writing, kind of people pulling back from that and feeling like, hey, I can't do that. And I want people thirsty for something more. Like, have you seen a response to kind of what's happening in culture in your readership with Fathom? Yeah, I think so. Um, Clearly, if you're going to spend time with our content, that's kind of going to be a thing that you like anyway. Mm -hmm. You 
uh, recently I had a good friend that I hadn't seen in a while. Sorry again. She was like, every time I get one, I feel bad. I can't read the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, no, that's the point. It's not that you're supposed to like it would take you forever to sit down and read the whole thing. But there will be something in there for you. Right? You want to choose to take time to spend time with something, not that uh, culture of next, 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 next. We don't create a next, 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 next thing. So if you interact with us, you kind of are already that person a little bit. Um, but I do think that people in particular who are used to getting the little bite size mm-hmm. ideas um, are finding that when they stop, they do see the value in the other thing um, because it is there. <laughs> just God is developing a story. There is a logic. There is an argument. There is a beautiful way for us to see how God is working in other people's lives that takes time. And if we give it a little bit of time, then all of a sudden we value that thing mm-hmm. instead of not valuing that thing. So, it's like convincing people just to give it a shot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if somebody will give it a shot, they just see the beauty of mm-hmm. what God is doing. And that's certainly something we're trying to do. And there are multiple other spaces trying to do it too. But overall, it's just yeah. a, it, is, it yeah. is a beautiful thing. It's so interesting. It feels like you're asking someone to step away from the dopamine hits <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and to step Very towards so. the deep work. Uh-huh. And that deep work is you're in the same way that you are saying that this life is a process through the writing. Stepping into those spaces takes time. Yes. So it's like maybe I start with the article that's going to take me a minute and then yes. two minutes and then five minutes. And then all of a sudden I'm at the 30 minute one. Yes. And we're doing that kind of work. And, and part of it is partnership with people who are typically doing that really quick mm-hmm. version of things. We can say hey, you would usually do this 30-second reel or whatever it is. Use that reel to link to something that's going to take seven minutes mm. or eight minutes or mm-hmm. 12 minutes to read. Yeah. You know, uh, how, do we, how do we utilize the thing you've brought them in with to send them to a new place? That's good. Um, mm-hmm. And that can, be, that can be the easy place to be like, no, you got it. You did get your dopamine hit, mm. but now like over here. Yeah. But, but also. <laughs> Just take your steps <laughs> but in. But also. Um, hey, in September of this year, Fathom celebrated a huge milestone. Mm-hmm. It's 50 issues published. Yes. And that's so crazy. I know that I can't even imagine. Um, but I know that as you think back on your first issue, there have got to be things that you have have to laugh at. So maybe <laughs> some things that are pretty funny. Um, but also, I, I'd, I'd be really interested to know what are some of the things that you have learned uh, looking back on 50 issues that are kind of profound for you as you think about the world of publishing and the world of Christian media? Yeah, I could definitely do that. There are so many things. Um, and some of them are funny. I mean, originally when we started, we were like, oh, we'll do this. We'll do this monthly. But like eventually we could get to where we do this every other week. (laughs) And then we did it like three times. And I was like, somebody draw this thing out. This is killing (laughs) us. There is no possible way we could create, which totally makes sense that we're trying to do too. We're like trying to tell people there's a slow, better way. And we're like, but we'll do it quickly. (laughs) That was silly. That was silliness. It takes time. It takes time to do things that take time, always. So <laughs> that was definitely one quick and easy thing that we changed our mindset on. And there are definitely changes that are um, driven by the culture, necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think they're, like we learned a lot about how to make something sound engaging to somebody else mm-hmm. um, and not just to us. I think we thought about people, but when we started interacting with people, there was a lot of value in um understanding exactly where they were and the kinds of things that were resonating and then being just willing to change a little bit to meet them where they were. We're not doing anything helpful if we actually aren't thinking about the people who are in front of us. So over time, as we've gotten to know just the people who like to read us and the things they are enjoying that are really resonating with them, we're trying to lean into that more. Um, 
I personally as a started more as a writer and have become more of an editor. I just don't even write that much anymore. Every now and again, I will write something. It is almost never for Fathom. It is almost always for another platform. And for me, I've really loved that. I have loved finding that the way that we can edit a piece can create something out of something more beautiful out of a beautiful idea somebody already had. Mm. So we're really leaning into the editing side as much as we are like the contributor side of the site. And I love that too. Um, yeah, there are, there, man, goodness gracious, the, the amount of changes feels shocking to think about. <laughs> sure. The first we had like, I think the first issue had nine pieces. Usually we have like 32 or oh, something wow. in an issue now. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the first piece was like, or the first issue was certainly just a vote of confidence from our friends is what it was. It was the people that we already loved coming in and saying, yeah, no, I'll, I'll do something with you. I'll put my name on this thing I've never seen before. And you can publish it to the internet and anyone will be able to find it. And forever. In perpetuity. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That's, that's fine. And so there was just, a, there was, that issue just looks like love to me. It just looks like people choosing, choosing us when they didn't have to. Um and now it's like we have so many people who want to contribute and they're sending us emails all the time and we're having to make hard decisions where before we were like, please just write something. We'll do our best to make it work. Now we're like, oh, goodness, what do we choose? Mm. Um, and that feels like a really privileged place to be. Sure. Uh, so we're learning a lot about that, too. I think w- one of the greatest lessons that I have learned about hearing and reading and seeing so much of people's lives is the honor it is to hold their stories Everybody has a story and everybody wants to tell it. They want to let people know. And that just is a good God glorifying thing, right? It tells us to testify about our lives all of the time. It's just we have a limited capacity with what we're doing to testify for everyone's life. We have to make some choices. And though so learning just the value of holding a story alongside somebody else and being able to say, Oh, I totally see what you're talking about. We have seen this six or seven other times and you know, just the last two months and we've published mm-hmm. this and this and this and that, like that thing. We're not going to be able to publish your story this time, or we are going to be able to and seeing the joy they have and be able to do that. Um, and either way, it being cathartic and helpful for someone to even have worked through it just in the process, that there's just a value to coming alongside another person wherever they are, however they're growing, whatever they're seeing about God and being a part of it. Mm. Um, I think that's probably the the thing I didn't see coming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for well, us. you know, I, I think that kind of transitions our conversation into the actual process of writing mm. and publishing. And so I you have already mentioned you interact with a lot of writers. You do a lot of editing. You mm-hmm. do you do writing, but now it's it's mostly editing. So what are some of the what do you find, you know, or some of the misconceptions that people have about writing and about getting published? Yeah. I think the first misconception is that it will be quick and easy. Um lots of people have something they want to say. And a lot of those things are really good things to say. Um, And in the publishing world, it isn't about whether or not it is a good thing to say. It is a question of does this align with what this publication is also trying to do over the long term? Also, is it a conversation that's already happening? So maybe you're saying something that a lot of other people are already saying. It is a good and it is a right thing, and we're hearing it a lot. And so a publication is probably asking, how do we add to a conversation, not how do we yes and amen a conversation every Mm. time? And so thinking that when I come to a publication or if I want to write something, all I have to do is send it in and it'll find a place because this is a good thing Mm. um, is the first 
kind of thing we're talking about people with when they come to us. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that is a good thing. You do have a good idea. Let's talk about how you can have one that works to be published, yeah. which is a different yeah. idea totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's definitely the biggest misconception. The other one would be, uh, I think a lot of people, particularly if you haven't written yet, if you haven't done this thing, you don't think about your editor as your partner. You mm. think about them as your enemy. You're like, these people want to kill everything I love in life. Mm. I've put it all on this page <laughs> and they are going to exit out and they're going to change my favorite words and mm. all of the things mm. and they do not love me. Mm. Right? They clearly, they're just using me, mm. right? <laughs> that is just not the case. Mm. The overwhelming majority of editors that I know that I have interacted with professionally are so excited to partner mm. with somebody on mm-hmm. their idea mm-hmm. to get it in the best way possible so that it's communicatable and affects the most people out in the world. And so some people like to come or they prepare, maybe not like to, they prepare to come combatively mm. to a publishing to the publishing world instead of uh, thinking of themselves as partners. And mm. that we would change. It changes a lot of things when you come ready to be a partner than yeah. ready to be a combatant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking from experience, I know that Kelsey makes a wonderful partner in editing, particularly <laughs> as we are. Uh, uh, Kelsey teaches on our uh, teaching team, uh, and we have a Bible class teaching team. And one of my favorite things about the way that God has hardwired you and gifted you is your ability to take something good and make it great. Hmm. And you just, it's like in your person, you're just doing it all the time, but it is truly a partnership. Hmm. And that has been, that's been one of my favorite things of, I mean, obviously just in our friendship, but just getting to work alongside you in that way. I'm like, oh yeah, no, not my enemy at all. Safe, trusted place. I need you. I have got to have you to Mm -hmm. be, to be better. And that is just a picture of the family of God working together to glorify God in all things. So, well, we'll just schedule a time for you to say that on video uh-huh. so we can send it out to all of our <laughs> contributors um, and let them know this is what it looks like to, to work with an editor. <laughs> Amazing. Kelsey, when you get a piece that comes um, across your desk or in your email, what do you value? What stands out to you that will make you say, this belongs in Fathom mm-hmm. versus this might not be a right fit for our magazine. Yep. Um, the The thing that comes to mind immediately is like a little bit of a writing cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's a cliche for a reason and then we can talk about it. <laughs> um, but we are looking for pieces that show and do not tell. Um, we have been as a people, I think as believers, cultivated to believe that uh, telling is more important than showing, that if I just walk you step by step through what something means, um, or if I tell you these are the five things that you need to do to find mm-hmm. patience, um, then you you will have those things that will happen in your life. But the Bible shows, shows us. It doesn't always tell us. And in fact, even when it tells us, it tells us in the context of showing us, the context of a huge overarching story. You don't know nothing about that, Elizabeth. So nothing at all. If you need, nothing me, if you need to be explain that to you. Can you please? Yeah, then that'd be so. Later, we'll do that offline, um, but I'll help you with the topic you've published on. The story um, of scripture yeah. that you know so well. Um, but so, so God is always showing us something and we have forgotten to be showers first sometimes. Mm. And so we're looking for a piece that wants to show instead of tell. Mm. Um, A lot of times we'll get pieces that are maybe papers that someone's written for seminary or a sermon prep or something like that. And they come to us and they, 
even when you present to them orally, they might sound more like showing, but written on the paper, they look like telling. Mm -hmm. And we are looking for pieces where somebody can come in and say, this is what it looks like to live this life of faith. We want them to do it in a particular way. We want to hear your story, but we don't want it to be like, this is the right way to live, right? Mm -hmm. We want it to be an invitation into your own personal Mm -hmm. wisdom. Mm -hmm. So when you read through this, our hope is that you leave thinking more questions than you do answers. Like, how does that affect the way I think about this topic? Should I consider that more? It's as if the author has handed you, put their hands out and said, hey, look at this thing. What do you think about that? Hmm. Where does that, does that fit somewhere in your life or no? Or is this a thing you've considered before? I think there are topics where we are maybe more heavy handed and where Mm -hmm. you should go. And that's like more of putting it out there as like, hey, do you see this? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the parameters mm-hmm. that we are, that we're working with, but all of it is an invitation um, and it's, it's not an exhortation. We're mm-hmm. not, we're not going to tell you what to do. What mm-hmm. we know is you're being developed and discipled, hopefully a lot of places that aren't us, that you are in your local church community, that you have good friends around you that are wise and helping you make decisions. Our hope is we can add another perspective, another facet of that mm-hmm. to your life mm-hmm. so that you become a person that looks more like Christ. At the end of the day, we want to play that role mm-hmm. of come on in, think a little deeper, mm-hmm. think about maybe another perspective. Is there another mm-hmm. way to see that? Mm-hmm. And we like to do that through a story because we think that's how God teaches us. Right. So compelling. One of the, I have a habit of quoting one of your articles a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> love that about you, Elizabeth. <laughs> and uh, I quote it because it, it, it does what you just explained. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's an article Anthony Bradley wrote about cosmic redemption, Christianity, mm-hmm. and just, it, it actually has really helped me over the years kind of form how we talk about scripture and how we talk about God's work of redemption and restoration in the world mm-hmm. and what happens when we leave out the work of restoration, but it's this idea of like it lingered with me. Oh yeah, and it helped form me, but also I press it upon other people to say, "Hey, how do you think about the world? Mm-hmm. And does this this article, does this quote that I give you change that?" Yeah, um, and just pieces of journalism, or I just think of words as just pieces of art that mm-hmm. make us consider and to think deeply. And it's like you're not gonna go to the next thing quickly. You need to sit and linger, and that lingering is where change and transformation happen, but slowly. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Man, he did such a great job writing that, mm-hmm. too. Um, he, he's just a brilliant mind in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said that, that it is the thing that you linger with and that you come back to. Taryn said it earlier, but the we do regularly try to make pieces that are like, in five years, will this still have something to say to somebody? We have like an internal internal rule or guiding point that we say we are anti-hot take. Mm. If it's happening right now and you already have an opinion about it, you probably just haven't thought about it long enough to give us something that will last. You've probably thought about it long enough to give us something, maybe a wise step for right now, but maybe not something that will make us a wise person later. And so someone's already doing that. There are a lot of places for you to find really good advice about the next step right now. And we want you, we want to produce things where people are just becoming more wise as human beings and not necessarily in their action. Again, not just activating your virtue, but making you virtuous is the end goal. Um, And trying to find things and ways to do that in every space possible, I think is a big piece Mm -hmm. of it. For us, it's like when we publish a new issue, for like two days, a new piece 
gets more views than an old piece. But our most read pieces are 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 always the older pieces. The mm. longer something has been there, the higher it moves on our most read list. Mm. And that is what we want to cultivate. We want mm. to have pieces that over time actually mm. increase in value mm. instead of decrease in value yeah. for people. Some of them you're like, man, I wish that didn't still talk to our culture today. I really wish that didn't have something to say. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they do because, man, isn't that just the world? Mm. Um, so I don't know. That's what... Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. All that yeah. to say. Because I'm, I'm really intrigued because... You know, we so we talk about it from um, from the writer's perspective, from even the editor's perspective, but from the consumer's perspective, mm. as I am someone who is intaking information and intaking media, right, yeah. reading books, doing all of those things. What are some of the questions that I should be asking mm. of the information that I'm consuming? Maybe what would be wise questions? What are yeah. questions that you ask as you're mm. looking at those pieces? I love that question. That is a great, that's a great question. Um, one of the things, or a few of the things, we'll start with the first one, obviously, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, would be to ask, has the author thought about me or only their idea? Are you is you when you read a piece, you can really regularly tell if someone just wants to talk about the topic or if they care about the person. Um, if you're reading something and it is making you feel the feels, um, I would just stop and ask if that is really where that's really the outcome this author was looking for. Sometimes there are just a lot of pieces where people are. Um, they're they're finding this as a very cathartic way for them to work through something. And now it has it has landed in your lap. And maybe it's not a cathartic way for you to, to work through something. Maybe it is something that makes you angry unnecessarily. Um, or maybe it makes you passive unnecessarily. It could be a lot of things. But I would ask, how does the author how do I think this author views me um, as the reader um, would be the first thing. The second would be, is is this person asking me to do a good thing God's way? Um, a lot of times when we want to activate a virtue, we will put virtuousness behind us. We will leave behind what it looks like to be the kind of person who is like Christ to try to come up with a Christ-like outcome. Mm. So if the person or the writer or the platform, whatever, is asking you to leave behind virtue in order to do something virtuous, that's incong incongruent. Mm. And you should ask questions about that mm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um but I would also say there is a time to um, feel the feels and say, is this good and right and necessary? Mm. <laughs> am I bringing am I bringing to this piece something that I shouldn't? Because it's both ways. I mean, the author is creating something. You are reading something. It's actually really hard to decipher when you're putting a, a published piece out into the world how it is going mm. to be animated. How is this thing going to come to life? Because you can't know mm. what everyone is bringing to the thing that they read. So you have to do that for yourself sometimes. Mm. <laughs> you have to be your own filter mm. and come in and be like, actually, I was already really frustrated about this. Or actually, I already had a really strong opinion about this. And now they are poking at that opinion. Now they're asking something of me. Should I give that thing to them? Um, sometimes the answer is yes. Somebody's going to stretch you. And our hope is that we're going to put some pieces in front of people who are, this is a perspective you haven't considered. And I don't want you to dismiss it outright. I want you to consider it. Mm. Um, but that is going to require on your behalf, choosing to be mm. in this piece with the writer. Mm -hmm. Um, it really is, it feels like a passive thing that we do when we mm -hmm. read something, mm -hmm. but it's one of the more active pieces of our life. We are reading all of yeah. the time and mm. it is shaping who we are. 
even you don't think about yourself as a quote reader when you're like scrolling through those long Instagram posts or for as long as we can going through Twitter and <laughs> trying to <laughs> see what's going on there. Um, but you actually are spending uh, when we say you're spending a lot of time on social media. If it's not just video content, then it's reading. You're spending a lot of time reading. Mm-hmm. You're giving yourself to that thing. It, it is asking something of you. So just to think of it as an active process mm-hmm. um, that you are you are engaging in it and that the person who wrote it did that actively. They brought something to it, too. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You do know. <laughs> do so I? Good. You really do. That's why you have all the mm, That's right. Mm, That's right. me and We Taryn. do not say anything. <laughs> okay, Kelsey, uh, you published through Fathom, but you also wrote a Bible study. I did. You are an awesome Bible teacher. Amen. That is one of, the way- <laughs> one of the ways in which I have come to know you and come to know Taryn is space we share together for a bit of time, and you wrote on First and Second Thessalonians. I did. And so I would think that's a little different mm-hmm. than writing the articles <laughs> that you published. Yes. And so how was that different? How was that experience of writing that Bible study for you in light of all you do with Fathom? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great question. So I love that part of me. I love mm-hmm. writing uh, particularly studies. I might like writing them more than I like writing other things okay. now, honestly, okay. For as far as the writing part goes. Um, the editing part, I'm, I'm probably the other way. But <laughs> for the writing part, that is what I do love. And I do think that I, they are very different in what the output is. But a lot of the thinking is the same. Um, it's just presenting it in a new and a different way. Uh, I love writing a Bible study because I do think that there is story in it. The same way that I think story is teaching us in through these articles um, that we do at Fathom, which right now what's coming to me, which is kind of a detour, is we also love to publish poetry and oh, short stories. Mm-hmm. We publish a lot of poetry. So mm-hmm. that's Beautiful. just part of this whole story piece. But um, and in the Bible study, I am trying to figure out what the story is that the author is trying to tell you and help you find the story in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we do that by understanding it. I don't think that is a way to move away from the text, but a mm-hmm. way to move into to the text, yeah. that they That's were right. working in a particular time and place to tell us a particular story that has a particular meaning. Um, and I do love write. I do. I just love to write them so much. But I, I think I brought some of the questions that I use at Fathom into some of the ways that uh, we added different things into the study. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are like theology explainers in there for mm-hmm. five, I think, topics that mm-hmm. are like, hey, here's a overarching idea that you should consider because some things are hard to get to at a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to be in so many different books. Mm-hmm. And so here's a little explainer for you about this one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be something we're trying to do in Fathom is find a theme um, every single issue that we can show you in a lot of different ways. So mm-hmm. I want to bring that think about doctrine as a theme sometimes mm-hmm. and write mm-hmm. to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, or in our, like in the application section, I wanted to write them as kind of concentric circles of life. And mm-hmm. so you're thinking about yourself personally, your local close to you community, and then the world as a whole, as you mm-hmm. walk through the application part of the study. And that is a question we're asking about our pieces. Does this only apply to the person who wrote it? Or is it going to help a local or global community too? Um so that kind of just got transferred into the Bible study world at the same time. So, yeah, there's some crossover for sure, okay. but mm-hmm. it is very different. Not the same. <laughs> 
When uh, Kels, when you are have thought about your own uh, kind of publishing journey, what encouragement do you have for aspiring writers, or uh, maybe just for someone who wants to start? Yeah. Where might be the right place for them to go? Yeah, what's the thing for them to do? You know, the first thing is to be ready to keep going. Mm-hmm. Once you start, just to keep doing it. You, if what you want to do is publish articles, you're going to submit a lot of them most likely before you get one published. That's not, mm, you'll get over it. It's like, that is good and okay. That is developing you as a writer. It is every time you interact with a platform or an editor, you are learning something about the publishing world. If you start considering that very beginning part as a place of learning and not necessarily a place of publishing yet is a really helpful mindset. Mm -hmm. Like you can follow up and ask some questions of an editor if you get a rejection letter, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, if I did the X, Y, and Z different, would that change your opinion? Do you have a certain kind of thing you're looking for? You know, what you can ask those kind of questions of them and you'll just grow as a writer. Mm -hmm. And then I would say the second thing is to consider the work of writing a craft. Um, We aren't just sharing our opinion. We are hopefully doing it beautifully so that it Mm -hmm. sticks Mm -hmm. and so that somebody wants to interact Mm -hmm. with what you have. Mm -hmm. Um, A writer's group is a huge help. Mm -hmm. If you can find the Redbud Writers Group or um, Hope Writers or whatever it is, there are quite a few writer's groups. There are like Art House Dallas here and there's there's an art house in Nashville as well. They do writer's groups where you sit down, you write the thing you want, and other people look at it, ask you questions of it, help you form it, and you start to see that how I do this work of what I'm communicating is going to make me a writer, mm. not just saying whatever I want to say. Mm. <laughs> how you say it really does change your opportunities in the world of writing. And that's hopefully editors are valuing that craft. Um, it is just like anything else. You have to figure it out. You got to work it. A lot of new writers come thinking, I have a voice, right? Like it's in there already as a diamond in the center of me and I (laughs) will dig it out. And once I find it, I will hold it out in front of me and it will be beautiful, right? But actually what you're doing is you're building a thing from the ground up. Mm -hmm. You are creating your voice. You are finding what works. You're trying some things and then you're adjusting some things and Mm -hmm. eventually you're falling into a stride Mm -hmm. that will fit you. Mm -hmm. There is not a voice perfectly formed inside our persons Mm -hmm. to be a writer. That Mm -hmm. is not a real thing. Our voice is a real thing. It is just a thing that we make over time. Mm. So committing to the process of mm. becoming a writer is as important as just being one right now mm. is developing over time. It's so interesting because all of my light bulbs are going off as we think about um it seems so much of what you are doing at Fathom directly mirrors spiritual formation. And even what you've just said around the fact mm-hmm. that it's like, no, 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 there, there is voice in there. Sure. But it is the, it is the part of building it and, and laying that foundation and continuing to work at it. And that is the spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. There are gifts in us. Absolutely. Yeah. But the misconception that I would maybe is with the gift of teaching, right. For, for either of you to think like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to stand up there and I'm going to know exactly what to do every <laughs> single time. Or even the first time is yeah. it's so it's, um, it's a weight we just certainly weren't meant to bear, but mm-hmm. our gifts actually work themselves out over time. They yeah. work themselves out in the context of community. We yep. need one another. We need the family of God for sure. To a call it out and then B help refine it. Yeah, and that's practice over time. It's like a muscle yep. that we just get stronger. It just gets better. Yep. Yeah. All of these things that God calls us to are 
within the context of the greater understanding of how he works in the world anyway. That's so right. it's like if it's if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a poet, if you want to be whatever you want to be, it doesn't work outside of the way that God has designed yes. humanity to flourish. Yeah. What it looks like to be a human, as yeah. Ellen Noble would describe it, right? We we have to do the same things in the context of how God has created humanity to work. That's so right. this is the same as all of those other things. Yeah. You just apply it to this gift that God has given you. Mm. That's beautiful. Kelsey, I'm going to end us on this question. Great. Favorite 90s hip-hop song <laughs> or artist? <laughs> Hard left turn. Most profound question. <laughs> most profound question. <laughs> of our time together. <laughs> well, I will tell you that there was a time when before... Before ha- uh, changing your passwords was required of you everywhere you went, and we all realized that you couldn't have the same one over and over again. Um, I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> I do not, because I'm about to tell you one of mine, so okay. it is sure. not happening. Um, both my husband and I used some lyrics from Juicy as our <laughs> passwords for places. So if you wanted to get into our bank account, there, there, was, there was a hip-hop song for you. <laughs> <laughs> to find that's amazing <laughs> okay. so, but you know what I'm just like not picky I love okay. my 90s hip hop okay. in lots of ways I love my 2000s hip hop probably okay. more okay. Um, uh, I love hip hop now I it is not going to be uncommon for you to find me listening to Chance the Rapper or um, man, Kendrick Lamar okay. in my car Okay, I'm just I love it Okay. Last night, where Kelsey was teaching our final oh. class, <laughs> and she's up there, and she where she's talking about, uh, she's talking about Aaron and her holding up Moses's arms, and she was like, you know, it was like, was T Pain inspired by this? They put their hands up, and they stood up, and I was just <laughs> like, I cannot, and the oh. entire room exploded, and it was That's everything great. it needed to be. That's so. yeah. You yeah, know, we can find the Bible in lots of unexpected yeah, places. Totally that is the that's truth. A connection, right. Kelsey. Yeah, it you know so what? Because they stay there. The song they is called, there. and the song is called "All I Do Is Win." Yeah, it's just like, could you find a better crossover? There it was. Yeah. Oh. yeah, the power of an Sorry, illustration. Okay, so. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> Kelsey, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank y'all. Yeah. Y'all are the best. You're doing a great thing. This is so fun. That conversation, I was just sitting here and thinking about how much I get from doing this Mm -hmm. and just listening to you talk about the art and the craft of writing, but writing for the long haul Mm -hmm. and how it forms people and what we can give people when we create beautiful things. Yeah. And so thank you for creating Beauty with Fathom. If you have not checked out their magazine, we all (laughs) would Mm -hmm. encourage you to do so and to linger and to read and to be formed for the long haul by the art they're creating there. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This podcast is made possible because of a team of people behind the scenes. Chris Starrett, Chelsea Conway, Mandy Page, we couldn't do it without them. If you're a follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. You can also support our Patreon page. Check the show notes for more information. See y'all next time.